Support comes from Pacific Science Center, working to inspire the next generation of scientists and increase access to STEM education statewide through digital discovery workshops, science on wheels, and summer camps. More ways to support these efforts at PACSci.org. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Tuesday. This is Seattle Now. All six of Let's Go Washington's initiatives have been certified. The Republican-backed proposals are headed to the state legislature, where Democratic lawmakers will likely decline them and send them to November's ballot. The issues are big, including repealing the state's Climate Commitment Act, the long-term care tax, and the capital gains tax. Getting the measures on the ballot took a lot. A lot of signatures, a lot of legwork, and a lot of money. That's where Brian Haywood comes in. Seattle Times political reporter Jim Bruner is here to tell us more about the hedge fund manager behind the initiatives. But first, let's get you caught up. A group of about 200 Venezuelan immigrants have until today to move out of the Kent Hotel they've been staying in for weeks. They were relocated there during the recent bitter cold, but funds to pay for the Quality Inn have run out. The group has federal immigration protections. Previously, they were living at a church in Tukwila. Organizers within the Venezuelan migrant community are hoping donations will help. Drivers who need to use the I-405 or State Route 167 express lanes will soon pay as much as $15 during peak commute times. The changes approved yesterday by the State Transportation Commission will take effect in March. Right now, that same trip will cost you $10 on I-405 and $9 on State Route 167. Commissioners say the changes are necessary to pay for road maintenance and improvements. And Seattle Public Utilities want you to keep those batteries out of the trash. The change started this month. The city says batteries contain heavy metals and other hazards that are bad for humans and the environment, so they shouldn't go to the landfill. They're also a fire risk. Ignore the rule and your trash may not get collected. Instead, get in touch with the city and set up a curbside pickup. We'll drop a link in the show notes. November's general election was already shaping up to be a big deal, but now more is at stake in Washington state. That's thanks to the state's constitutional right to the initiative process. Last week, we talked about these initiatives on the show. Today, we're going to talk about the man behind them, Brian Haywood. Appreciate everybody coming out. We just uh, we just turned in 418,399 signatures. Haywood is a hedge fund manager who moved to Washington in 2010. He's the money and one of the faces behind Let's Go Washington, an effort to bring the initiatives to a vote this November. He's moved in part due to Washington's lack of an income tax, but overall, he isn't happy with our state's Democratic lawmakers. These initiatives are an attempt to undo some of their work. If he's successful, he'll, quote, fix what's broken. That's according to the Let's Go Washington slogan. As I've been here over the last now 13 years, I've watched uh, a group of legislators begin to pass laws that I don't think are even in touch with their own constituency within their own party. Many of his initiative efforts have been focused on taxes, capital gains tax, long-term care tax, and even barring Washington from ever passing a traditional state income tax. Seattle Times political reporter Jim Bruner set out to find out more about Haywood, who he is, where he comes from, and where he's going in Washington politics. Jim Bruner's here to tell us all about what he found. 
Jim. Good to talk to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me again. So let's start by talking about what makes Brian Haywood so compelling from a political standpoint. Well, I don't think we've seen a slate of initiatives like this ever come on the ballot financed by one person. I looked back a little bit in the history and it's, you know, we've had multiple initiatives in a year, but it's actually been a while since we've had many initiatives on the ballot. And this is certainly an unprecedented slate. And so when you look at the money behind it, it's mostly Brian Haywood. You know, he's a Redmond hedge fund manager. And I got curious about why he was doing this. I'd come across him before. He'd been around in the end kind of Republican politics for some time. He funded a PAC several years ago that was started by our former gubernatorial candidate, Bill Bryant, after Bryant lost to Jay Inslee. But that was about, I think, 100000 You know, this is more than $6 million to get six initiatives on the ballot. So clearly he feels strongly about it. And I just thought it was time to take a look at him. Yeah, your article was was really, really interesting. I found his background to be particularly interesting. Let's talk about how that factors into how he's showing up politically today. Yeah, he grew up in Arizona, as he likes to say, a, a redneck kid in a Mormon household. He got accepted to Harvard. He went there. He was kind of repulsed when he went to Harvard by the liberal protests he saw. You know, I think he was already pretty conservative going in, but that's what he says solidified him. Winds up starting a hedge fund in California, managing you know, hundreds and millions of dollars of investments for big investment groups or funds like CalPERS, the public pension system, and eventually moves out of California to Washington State, in part because he didn't like where the tax and political environment was going in California. Hmm. Well, then he got here and things shifted and probably fueled some of this anger, Jim Bruner. You know, you describe Brian Haywood as a Tim Iman with a gigantic bank account. Tim Iman, a divisive but well-known initiative backer here in Washington State. What does that mean for our politics? Someone with seemingly unlimited resources in a state with what's a powerful initiative process. Yeah, you could imagine if Tim Iman had a lot of money, he could put a bunch of you know, initiatives on the ballot instead of constantly going through this cycle of asking for money and getting donors. You know, yeah. Brian Haywood combines the donor and the initiative guy. He didn't do it alone, of course. He's closely working with the state Republican Party. Jim Walsh, the state party chair, was the initial you know, filer of these initiatives, for example. But and and Haywood didn't he doesn't particularly like the Iman uh, comparison I think because of Iman's some of Iman's reputation Haywood isn't that yet but this year he's definitely taken the the sort of place of Tim Iman both as a counterpoint to if you're a Republican or a conservative or tired of taxes gi- giving those people a voice to try to to shake up some policy and if you're a Democrat or a supporter of these taxes including capital gains tax on the very wealthy in the state. Brian Haywood is now sort of a villainous figure, a Tim Iman-like figure that they're going to make, you know, they're going to connect to these initiatives. He did, he did fund them after all. Yeah. And, you know, like we've talked about, he put $6 million of his own money into this signature gathering effort. Is this an effective way to get more conservative issues on the ballot? I mean, conservatives are pretty limited in Washington state. You know, they've been losing for years in elections. Republicans are shut out of statewide elected office. They, they have, they're in the minority in both houses in the state legislature. They don't, they don't have a lot of policy options. The initiative process is guaranteed in our state constitution. 
you know, there have been liberal, wealthy donors who in the past have gotten initiatives on the ballot. Nothing like this, I don't think, but it's certainly been a process that's been used by both political parties. The uh, Speaker of the House, the Democratic Speaker of the House in Olympia, has kind of decried this as, and, and you'll hear this a lot, I think, uh, perversion maybe of the initiative process, which started out as a populist countermeasure to like, you know, railroad barons and things like this. And now you have a hedge fund manager spending a whole bunch of money to get a bunch of of, uh, conservative issues on the ballot. This is something I both appreciate and dislike about the initiative process. It puts a lot of power in people's hands, but it takes a lot of effort to be effective. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be pretty interesting. Obviously, like I said, it, it can cut both ways. I mean, we've had interest groups get initiatives on the ballot that you know, for very narrow self-interested reasons, for example. We've had rich donors like Paul Allen, for example, several years ago, paid signatures gatherers to get an initiative on the ballot that was about creating a new law on like international wildlife trafficking, like pangolin part trafficking, which was definitely, while maybe worthy and it passed overwhelmingly, it was like, it wasn't something that people were like thinking about. Like, yeah, we should pass a law on that. It was just Paul Allen and his money were interested in it. So it it's a powerful democratic tool, but it definitely can be in the age of paid signature gatherers. If you pay enough money, you can get, um, I won't say anything, but maybe almost anything on the ballot. Yeah, very interesting. Haywood says he wants to stay away from the spotlight, but you also wrote that you've heard rumblings about him wanting to run for public office at some point. It makes me curious where he's most effective for Washington Republicans. Well, we'll see. I think that uh, it's kind of funny you said he didn't want to be in the spotlight, but I mean, he's put himself in the spotlight. You know, it's like the money and then he's he's at the press conferences turning the signatures. He paints himself like a pretty simple guy who's just fed up. Yeah. Well, he has a like a kind of a horse ranch out in the, in the Redmond area. He um, he does. He like bales his own hay, grows apples, makes honey and things like that. And I think that's kind of genuine from his background. But, you know, he's also a very rich and politically uh, opinionated guy and want, wants to be involved. I think it was more like he was saying... I don't have to do this, but I, I want, you know, somebody needs to do it. It's, in his opinion, he said he's doing it to fix stupid things. I think is how he put it. He's a very uh, small L libertarian view of, of like economics. That ranch that he has out in Redmond is named Galt Valley LLC was like the, the company it was incorporated under, I think, which is after the character in the Ayn Rand book, you know, so but Republicans talk to him. I think he's, he's definitely talked about, you know, maybe I should run for governor. You know, you haven't won in decades. He could probably he could self-fund, obviously. I talked with Kerry Condotta, a former Eastern Washington legislator who was involved with the initiatives, too. And he said, well, we talked to Brian about realities of going from zero to governor. And, it, and you know, so we kind of offered them this other way to get involved. And so he's doing the initiatives. If he's successful, maybe that is some kind of springboard for him. But I, I, I'm not sure we'll ever see him him run for governor. But, you know, he's certainly entertained the idea. A lot of Let's Go Washington's and Haywood's messaging paints these initiatives like we've been talking about is common sense, you know, fix what's broken. His intent is to fix stupid things. That is very simple messaging, but it definitely resonates with people. Kind of like that I'm in $30 car tab thing. Yeah, I think that's the appeal that they're trying to go with. I think when you dig into some of the more complex tax issues, it maybe doesn't work. But, you know, I was talking with 
Tim Eyman, for example, about this. And I think he said something that, that struck me that the initiative backers are focused on the gas tax. Now, now the law that they're trying to repeal is the Climate Commitment Act, created a cap and trade system, is trying to combat you know, global climate change. The uh, pollution fees that are paid into the state go to a lot of different programs. But the messaging from the anti-side is it's all about gas prices and you know wasteful government spending. And that uh, Iman said that th- that initiative in particular was like what, what he called a stopper. In other words, you got six initiatives, some some person with petitions, you know, clipboards at, at the Safeway, and the one that they're going to yell out is, "Hey, are you tired of high gas prices?" And that'll get you to stop and maybe sign. Whereas if you're trying to say, "Oh, are you concerned about the seven percent capital gains tax on stock?" Profits of more than $250,000 that fewer than 4,000 people in the state pay. Maybe it's a little harder to sell. So that'll be the back and forth in the campaign between the common sense argument messaging versus the more complex kind of realities of what's going on with the taxes and the policies. These initiatives actually ran into some controversy during the signature gathering process, including a hotline where people could report these paid signature gatherers. What are Democrats saying about this initiative effort? Well, they're, they're definitely against it. And this uh, camp- anti-campaign that you mentioned was sort of, I read it as kind of a late effort by opponents, including the union SEIU, who kind of woke up and said, oh, yo, wow, these things might actually get on the ballot. And so they launched kind of this late effort to stymie it. It, didn't work, it did not work, but they, like you said, they set up a hotline where you're supposed to call and report uh, you know, I saw a paid signature gather at the Safeway, and and the hotline said leave you know just leave a description of them, and and then they would send the initiative folks called them blockers, you know, activists oh, who would go man. and and uh, just whatever hand out literature or try to get people not to sign or in in, in what Haywood said is that they would just try to create a scene, and then you know if you, if you're at the Safeway and people are creating a scene, you're just going to avoid it and not sign. So that was the kind of effort that went on. Hmm. Interesting. All six of the initiatives are now fully certified. They head to the legislature, where they'll likely get denied and sent to the general election ballot. What will November's results tell us about Haywood's influence and about Washington voters? I think they'll tell us, I mean, by November, I think, you know, this won't be maybe as much about Brian Haywood. And really, the policy is the most important thing. I mean, the funder is somebody something people should know about. But there's going to be a debate on these issues on on taxes on the wealthy on you know whether they're paying for worthy programs on this climate law police pursuits and uh, this long term care payroll tax for example but it will tell us I think if Democrats having the majority in the legislature having the governor's office forever if they finally maybe overstepped on some of these programs that are popular among the like progressive voters in the Seattle area but maybe even not as popular as they think. And this is the one way where you can get kind of a a ballot test. Uh, But again, it'll be layered over the 2024 election, which will have a lot of other issues uh, with, with Trump and the governor's race and turnout will be very high. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays into it. Yeah, really interesting. Jim Bruner, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for your reporting. Thank you. Check out Jim Bruner's profile, Brian Haywood, in the Seattle Times. We'll drop a link in the show notes. 
If you're looking to find out exactly what these six initiatives set out to do, there's a link in the show notes to one of our recent episodes. Thanks so much for listening to Seattle Now, and extra thanks to the generous supporters who financially back this show. Today's episode was produced by Vaughn Jones, with special thanks to Northwest News Network reporter Jeannie Lindsay. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Claire McGrain, and Jenny Cecil Moore. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.